Hello and welcome to Handel Hendrix Unlocked, a podcast from Handel Hendrix in London, in partnership with Art Fund. In this episode, we were joined by radio broadcasting royalty, Mr. Sean Keevney. It was such a pleasure to have Sean in the Hendrix flat, and amongst other things, we spoke about his time at Radio 6 and his slightly more chaotic time working with Russell Brand at the legendary XFM. So, this is it. Handel and Hendrix Unlocked with Sean Keevney. Sean, welcome to the Handel and Hendrix podcast. Welcome to Jimi Hendrix's bedroom. I think you've... <laughs> That's a strange sentence to say. I know. <laughs> so many people have heard that over the years. <laughs> I think you've been before. I have. I have. I was very lucky that when this opened, I don't know when that was because I've not got much sense of time passing. <laughs> I think it was about three or four years ago. There was a... Back in the, the olden times, there was a party. I've got a vague recollection of being in a sort of courtyard area and there being booze. And I, I think I was there with my mate Mark and we got talking to Killian Murphy. It was all very, very exciting. Good. Wow! And then we all got shuffled upstairs, you know, to have a look round the hallowed space. And, and this is it. Just, I was just saying to John before as I came up the steps that I just had a, a bit of a, a sort of spiritual moment out front. I'm sh- as I'm sure many people do, because yeah. I was, I thought, I'd listen to a bit of Jimmy on my way in. Um, one of my favourites is uh, the Isle of Wight Festival. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm big on his live stuff. Okay. That's, maybe that's something we'll unpack later. Yeah. So I was listening to Red House live out there, looking up at the, the, the plaque pack. up there, yeah, yeah, thinking, God, maybe he'd sort of synthesise some of these r- guitar lines in his head up there when he was in bed or something, you know rolling about with some starlet <laughs> so yeah and, and as you've just told me we've even got access to this beautiful 60s sort of stereo setup yeah so the new thing that we're all proud about in the museum is we've always had we've always known what record player amp and speakers hendrix had when he lived here in brook street but we've managed to work with bang and olufsen the who made the record player and wow. leak who made the amp and louder speakers who are all kind of still in existence in okay. some form yeah um so we've managed to get working versions you know functioning versions so we can now play <laughs> play jimmy's record collection in the room that he lived in which is quite a an amazing experience really it's quite spooky listening to these records knowing that that's exactly how hendrix would have heard it and listened to it it's surreal as hell isn't it i i've knowing what it's like to live in london and live in flat conversion yeah. conversions i also yeah. feel even though it would have been in the late 60s sympathy for his neighbors yeah. i can imagine he wouldn't have had it had his leak amp on one or two you know exactly especially yeah. after he'd had a couple of Herbals. Well, there are stories of him um, breaking the speakers because he was turning up so loud. <laughs> of course he did. That so, stacked on top of each yeah, other. Which I love. Apparently there was a place in Bromley. He had to go down to Bromley to get it, get the speakers, the cones in the speakers fixed, which I just, I, lo- I love that picture of Jimi Hendrix walking into like some hi-fi store just going, oh, I've broke him again. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you had a loyalty card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seven broken speakers in a month and you get a free speaker. You get the eighth yeah. free. And he also used to keep a, like a, a coin tape to the, tone arm of the record player because he was obviously going yeah. so loud that the vibrations <laughs> of the floor would keep. <laughs> so we could have a go on that later yeah absolutely Play very some exciting um so yeah how did you 
What's your history with Hendrix? When did you get into, I think you're a big fan. Yeah, I am actually. Um, and I've got, I'll say this a lot over the course of the podcast, but I've got very patchy memory. I don't know why. Um, I can't imagine why my memory has been affected over the years, but um, I, I've got a really strong memory of, I think it was 1989, so I would have been 17, and I had a friend called Moggy, Andrew Linden, a very unusual man, <laughs> very talented man. I think what they would, dis- what they would describe now as, as a man somewhere on a spectrum, you know, but he was a very un- unusual, gifted fella. But he was mad into music. And I just remember him bringing a tape into sixth form one day and just saying, oh, you've got to listen to that, man. <laughs> and I took it home and listened to it. I can't remember what it was, which I think it might even just have been a, a greatest hits, Jimi Hendrix or something. Mm-hmm. And at first, I remember for the first few months, he was pushing and pushing this Hendrix guy. Right. And I was like, I, I don't get it. Because I, I, I was, at that point, I was just getting into that sort of cream zeppelin stuff you know okay. so it, it should have fit but it, I, I i thought he was a little bit a uh, bit a bit rough around the edges jimmy right. at first not, you know, polished enough. not polished enough it's all very improvised isn't it you know it's not <laughs> it's not really working it out is he? he's just making it up as he goes along and i'm not sure i like that show a bit of craft a bit of respect for the guitar and so i was being a bit of a wanker like that can i use that word yeah i don't think we're we're under yeah. any i was being a bit of an arse like it's just that. The bear and the nose, yeah, okay, we he's, can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's a worse words. <laughs> and 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 so it took me a few months to to get it, and then and then it just I don't know what happens with with artists like that. You, you, I guess you got to keep going back sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and I did, and it just the penny dropped in such a spectacular way, and and that was me gone then. I, I and as I said before, my, my my confession when it comes to Jimmy. And I'm in this hallowed space where he lived. Is that I was never, I, I was never as in, in, enamored with the the studio recordings. Even though I, I know the, in fact, I've met Eddie Kramer. I've sort of, I've interviewed Eddie Kramer, and so I never said that to him. Um, <laughs> but he's the custodian of, of most of it, isn't he? Yeah. But it, I was always, I loved them, obviously. But I was even more interested in in his live extemporizations mm-hmm. because I'm. I'm a guitar player myself, and so I, that was what it really got under my ribs. It was hearing him just completely space out an entire crowd with his, because he was a magician, wasn't he? He was an absolute, that's the only way I can describe what he does with a the guitar. There are more technically gifted, you know, you might have a John McLaughlin or somebody like that who's technically more gifted. You know, you might have a Jimmy Page who's more structured. Mm-hmm. But nobody in who has ever lived on this planet has ever made a guitar speak like he does yeah. in so many different colours. And that's even now, like I said, I'm just doing it 10 minutes ago, just outside going, how the, did he do that? How did he do that? How did he do that? So yeah, that was my way in. Cool. And so have you got any favourite live? Like way <coughs> top top three... <laughs> <laughs> to get all high fidelity about <laughs> this is what my my eldest son's like this who's your favourite actor what do you I don't know you, what's your favourite lyric of all time oh god um well okay I mean I mean I'm in the in the spirit of knowing these things change every 10 minutes I I, I I keep going back to things like um there are there are really simple ones like 
when he plays Rock Me Baby at Monterey, which mm-hmm. is just over in less than three minutes. And it's early, early doors, Jimmy. Yeah. That's when he makes it in America. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. He's, he's arriving with, and he's got that, um, I mean, he's always just looks like, he's not going to turn up in H&M <laughs> jog pants, is he? He's, there's feathers fucking everywhere, hats up the waz. You know, he just looks incredible. And this is him, like you say, presenting himself to the American audience after having broken Britain, bro- broken Britain. And, <laughs> And yeah, and, and it's just such a, and again, I will, I keep, I'll keep saying this as well. I'm, I'm, I'm not bad on the guitar. You know, I've been playing for over 30 years, still can't do some of the even relatively simple things that he does. Yeah. And that is a good example. What are you doing? I just feel, I wish he was still in alive. I wish he was here so I could go, go on, sure. What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? It sounds simple, but it's impossible. And yeah. and, uh, the, and out come the teeth and all that you know behind the head which which he got sick of so that that's up there and and then there are, there are pieces like it's hearing him make noises like um, on machine gun mm. on, on yeah. uh, especially the Isle of White one uh, the first sort of seven or eight minutes of that song are just it it always it always it sounds ridiculous but even when I was eighteen it used to move me to tears really because yeah. it was like. He's he's synthesizing the sounds of the Vietnam War or something, yeah. you know, and he and he's doing it wordlessly, of course, you know. And, and there are poets that can, like Wilfred Owenwood in the First World War or something, beautiful words that the most put together. But he does it with that guitar, and it's just devastating. Yeah. It just sounds like he's dropped you in in Saigon or something. Yeah. So that's always up there, and um, and I, I always. I, I, at the moment, I seem to come back a lot to, he does a version of Foxy Lady at Miami Pop Festival, which is stupidly brilliant. There's a version of Voodoo Charlie does somewhere that's on his complete, I can't remember what it's called now, complete Jimi Hendrix or something. And it, um, th- this is moving away from Jimmy's guitar a tiny little bit, because sometimes I've got a little complaint with the mix on, on so as you would expect, you know, it's, it's just, it's, everybody's, everybody's high. It's 1969. <laughs> You know, all the all the road crew are high. The guys recording it are off the tits, and it's like, how are you expecting yeah, to get it anything? Amazing when you think about I know. the fact that they were. Yeah, it's yeah. like the it's studio <laughs> level brilliance recordings a lot of the time. But sometimes Mitch always sometimes sounds a bit a bit like because I'm a big John Bonham fan, obviously. But but on this particular recording, they've got the, the bass drums. It just sounds so meaty, mm. and um. So, you know, th- this is it. That's what's, what I find, uh, what is so lucky is that, my God, the, the guy was, he was recording for, for less than four years, wasn't he? So you yeah, must have talked uh, about this before. Amazing. Utterly ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, so he, he started in 2017 and he was dead by 2021. And, and all that music's been put down. And we still, occasionally, somebody will still go, uh, this tape li- live at Bolton Town Hall um, <laughs> blow- blows off yeah. the dust puts it on the reels it's fucking brilliant uh, so we've at least we've I was thinking about it on the way in and I was I was thinking it's like he never lived on earth Jimi Hendrix I mean I, I'm, I'm a sort of reluctant atheist really but I'm a, I'm a there's a little part of me that's a bit like a sort of you know 60s peace and love I've just dropped Owsley Acid maybe there are different dimensions kind of a guy and it, it's like he never fucking lived here. Yeah. He just he just sort of popped in, 
don't you know sort of dumped this mega download of the most ridiculous music you've ever heard and then just yeah. fucked off to the other side of Saturn or something yeah. you know what I mean that's what it feels like what is it that great God just wanted guitar lessons <laughs> how, go on show me how are you doing it he still doesn't make any sense yeah. yeah also just like the effect he had culturally like we've got a list in the museum of all the gigs and kind of jam sessions and you know and just like some of the places he played, you know, pubs in Lincolnshire, <laughs> yeah. and you know, I think that like the Tabernacle Club in Stockport. <laughs> what did they think when he when he walked in? Like, yeah, I mean, my, my dad saw him at Chelmsford Corn Exchange, which I just yeah. love. You know, like Chelmsford Corn Exchange, and he said everyone there was a mod, and they just didn't get it. You know, they were just like, "What is going yeah. on?" They were used to you know everything being clean and yeah you know, suits and you know two and a half like, minutes yeah and exactly and then this guy turns up and I've, i think there's a film of it on youtube and it's again it's like that sound thing like they have no idea what to do with it no. so he just it sounds awful because it's just like turned <laughs> up everything's turned up and it's just feedback and but i just think you look at the crowd and you're like that's incredible like, they would have not have seen anything like that well they, that, they didn't have a i mean and it was because obviously it was 1966, 67, and there was sort of race elements there as well, weren't there? Yeah. There was the, all that, the wild man of rock, rock coming to deflower yeah. your children, you know, <laughs> all that bollocks. But but yeah, I mean, I love the anti-establishment. He, he's not even trying to be, like I say, he doesn't feel like he's a citizen of Earth, so he's not he's not political in, in, a, in a very, in a particular yeah. way, but he still does things like that that are, are just so brave. With, it's not brave because he's not even trying to be brave. It's like the Lulu show. I just I, I watch that again and again and again. It's my car that <laughs> that's gone. <laughs> um, and it's like the Lulu show where I just lo I love watching shit like that. We're gonna start playing this rubbish now, and we're gonna dedicate the next song to uh, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, Eric Clapton, Sunshine, and the, and and all the floor managers are just losing their yeah. shit. This is yeah. the BBC. <laughs> Wait, this is not on the contract now. <laughs> And it's like fucking hell. Pardon my French again. I'm gonna stop swearing. But it's like that kind of thing is John John Lydon and Steve Jones would have died yeah. to do something like Punk that. You know, it really Punk is. Yeah, just that the freedom of it. You know, is just and that's what the music represents to me. Is it's not tethered by anything. You know, I mean, yeah, it's using relatively, you know, understandable chord structures and mm -hmm. things like that. And then everything else is just Jackson Pollock. <laughs> it's incredible. Does that explain why, why you're sitting here today? That it was your dad the one who tapped you I in? guess so. I mean, I would sort of, I mean, my parents are both really into music and had a great collection of music. And I, but I was kind of embarrassed by <laughs> listening to it. It was like, oh God. Quite right. You know, whereas all other generations, I think, were just, listen to stuff that their parents would hate deliberately yeah. i was like the opposite where i was like going and sneaking and nicking these Jimi hendrix records and <laughs> listening to it and going oh man that's amazing but not like telling them yeah like, and then you know <laughs> 10 years later being like yeah i'm now working for the i've got like i've got three kids and well my daughter's really little but my two boys you know the eldest one's like what you just previously described he's into aj tracy and mm -hmm. 
you know, drill or whatever. <laughs> and, and, and it's that classic, we're in the car and he puts something on. And I'm like, what's this? Rubbish, turn it down. And he's like, loving the fact that I hate it. But my middle boy plays the guitar. Right. And he just loves, he just loves all this stuff. Yeah. He just lo- he loves, unashamedly adores rock music. You yeah. know, you've just got to admit it sometimes, haven't you? <laughs> well, we get, you know, the, when we can have visitors to the museum, you know, it's amazing to see, you know, we get people who are there, at, you know, at, who saw Hendrix. We've had people <gasps> turn up to our events who are like at the Isle of Wight Festival. Christ. Although then, I, I think if you count on everyone who said that, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> two million people. people. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get people who are, you know, like teenagers who are as into it, and really? you know, that's that's yeah, there's hope. <laughs> but that's it. It's, it. it's I think that once people, I mean, obviously, some people will think, and and there's there is, I should say this definitely because I work at a station called Six Music. We play a lot of new music. And obviously, there's still fantastic music being made, but uh, beautiful music and, and futuristic music and stuff that we can't fathom, you know. But wait, people, I guess it's the same thing as somebody like Handel, you know. This stuff lives forever, doesn't it? Yeah. It's stuff that can't be possibly replicated. It's it's a, such a unique take on. But he, he, there's something that Hendrix's music has always done to me. It's sort of... Um, he, he, he accesses my soul immediately. I don't know what it is, just the way that he bends a note mm-hmm. and it's just like I've been punched in the solar plexus every time. It's just yeah. ridiculous. I think with the live stuff, to go back to that, that's sort of the thing though, isn't it? It is new almost like every time you go back to it because he's just, yeah. And he thought of himself as a live musician. I think mm-hmm. he didn't, a lot of the time he said, you know, if you really want to know what we're about, you have to come and see it live. Yeah. If you listen to the records, that's just a, that's just one snapshot yeah. of a certain point in time. So yeah, that's yeah, I think that's definitely that's it because it's a jumping off point. The record, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and and that's he reminds me. Uh, the obvious parallel is Prince, in the sense, in the same way that I think Prince lived. Well, obviously, he adored Jimi Hendrix as well. Yeah, but he lived his life in a similar way. I think were. He wasn't ever going to have kids, really. He was never going to be a family man. He was never going to take three years off and live on the farm. He was never going to do that because he wasn't alive if he wasn't playing music. So like you're saying, those lists of Jimmy playing at the dog and duck or whatever, and that's what Prince was like as well. Right, uh, we've just done a three-hour show. Uh, Follows across the road. We're going to do another three-hour show, and then I'm going to have two hours in bed, and then I'm going to get to the next. I'm going to practice on the bus, and then we're going to play. It's like... No wonder he died at 57 in a way, because he'd sort of done nine lifetimes of music. Yeah. Like, like Hendrix, really. Oh, in, like, that's actually a lot like Handel, to kind of crowbar that in. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know yeah, anything about him. There's some stories. Well, he, he again, didn't have a family, um, which a lot of people have said. I mean, there is speculation, but people have said it's just because he was so obsessed with music and constantly writing music. And there's an anecdote of him... There's a, a score that he's he's written. He finishes an opera on the 24th of December, and then the next page starts, and he writes the 25th of December, and then you can see that he's crossed it out. So he's gone to write some music, and he's gone. Oh no, actually, it's Christmas. I'll give myself one day off. <laughs> Seven a.m. 26th of December, back in the game. Yes, exactly. I've had my holiday for the year. God, I have not got that work ethic. I can tell you that. I want a fortnight at least. Well, that that is it. It's for some. That's you. 
that's why you've got a true artist you've got to give them so much love and respect because that's what they've given up a lot including a family usually yeah. to give you this music so yeah. that's their baby isn't it you know it's, it's amazing really so jumping off the kind of live performance thing we were talking to john cooper clark recently and he was kind of talking about a similar thing um in that how he keeps his gigs and performances fresh by you know even though it's quite often the same material um you know he just improvises and digresses and you know it's just the way that he's puts it together is always different each night and that's how he keeps himself interested in it more than anything um i thought it must be I mean, Hendrix also had that with, you know, having to play Hey Joe every single time <laughs> and, you know, getting fed up with it. It must be the same with having a radio show. Yes. Like, how do you, how do you keep it fresh each day? I don't. That's the, that's the truth. It's as stale as old bread. We're both listened to it. Yeah, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. thank you. That's good to, good to know. We know, we know it's, yeah, not, it's good. It's, very, it's rough. So. <laughs> no, yeah. I think it's very new every day. But that's a good question, actually, for any creative person, isn't it? Who, I mean, I've talked about this a lot with my family and stuff and, and bored friends with it because it's, um, there's always a, a paradox at the heart of, of, a lot, of a lot of these jobs, I think. And probably, like you're saying, if you're a musician, you, it's, you remember, like we go back to Prince, like when Prince wrote Slave on his face, you know, in the 90s, and everybody was like, oh, this is ridiculous and quite right. I mean, obviously, mate, I, I, I'd rethink that viral if I were you, you know, looking back on it 27 years later. But I, I understand what he was talking about. Yes, he's a multimillionaire. Yes, if he wanted to, he could afford to take a couple of years off and do nothing. But he's still under the yoke of the the man, the record company, with pushing his face into the grindstone all the time. He can't really do what he wants. Uh, and, and, you know, that's all creative people want is freedom, man. And poor old Jimmy, of course, it, it killed him in the end, really. It's like exactly what happened to Jimmy. I think, I, I, I mean, I'm talking about 30 years ago now. I, I read an, a, a biography about him. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty good one. And it sounded a lot like Mike Jeffrey's manager worked him and worked him and yeah. worked him very, Constantly very hard. Gigging, yeah. And, and it, he, wasn't of, he didn't have the strength to stand up to that and say, I, I need to... St- get off this for a bit yeah. and that and it's the same thing that happened with elvis and colonel tom parker amy it's the winehouse. same thing that happened with michael jackson with amy winehouse and so you've got these celebrated people who are loved and cherished but they're pushed to the edge and every every ounce of juice squirrels out of them and then they're gone and then it's all right for the industry because they go oh just do a load of reissues and we'll make a load of money sorry about that jimmy um <laughs> And why I'm so- talking about this in, in relation to myself, I don't know. It's almost like I'm comparing myself to Amy Winehouse, Jimi Hendrix. Uh, uh, it sounds a little bit aggrandizing. Is this a, yeah, do you need help? <laughs> it's it's a cri de coeur. Help me. Um, I'm trapped. I'm like Jesse in Breaking Bad. I'm, 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 I'm strapped to the meth machine. Um, but it is, it is your, it's a good point to make because if you have to create product all the time, and I imagine John, like John Cooper Clark, he, he, he's not a multimillionaire probably. He has to carry on working. Yeah. He still has to, 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 to hustle. It, it is difficult. You've got, to, you've got to really dig deep sometimes. I mean, I've, I'm lucky because I've got an audience, uh, like a live audience, 
like yourselves sometimes who can feed me. We can be reciprocal. And, mm-hmm. and uh, my job really becomes, the hardest part of my job is making people realize it's not as easy as it looks. You know, I, I like to, because my whole shtick is, well, I'm not making much effort. <laughs> but I actually am. That's the, that's the secret. And, and you end up like a magpie. You end up every single day of your life, you're making little notes of things that you've noticed or things that you think, oh, we should talk about that because I'm not the only person who's noticed that. And that's really the process for me is just finding things. I love minutiae particularly. I don't, I, I don't ever want to – I'm never going to be on Five Live talking about the big the big things of the day. What about these curtains in yeah. D- Downing Street? I'm not going to do that. Slip into that voice very well, but maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe there's a, an opening there for me. <laughs> but so I, I love the tiny stuff, and 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 when I, but the, you know what? I've even said this on the radio. I, I semi as a joke to aggrandize myself again, but I say, I'm the Jimi Hendrix of radio. You understand that, don't you? And what I mean by that is, is that of all poor old Jimmy, as we've discussed pushed out the door 200 day, doing 200 gigs a year or something. Yeah. Having to play when he's got the flu, having to play when he's, he's, you know, had a massive night the night before, uh, having to play when he's exhausted. Some of those gigs would have been pretty bad. Yeah. Because, you know, there'd have been moments of spectacular beauty, but a lot of it would have been, uh, he would have been below his par, but he just has to get up and do it again. And then the next day, it's going to be unbelievable. And that's, I mean, I've never, I've never had a fucking unbelievable show, but I mean, I've had some pretty good ones, you know. <laughs> so that's my parallel to Jimi Hendrix, always bringing it back to Jimi, yeah. is that if you do something all the time, you've got to accept that sometimes it's not going to be great. If, you, if you've got three years to, to create eight songs, you can really take your time and make sure every single moving part is beautiful. But when you're knocking, knocking yeah, shit yeah. out five days a week, what I'm saying is to the listeners... Is don't expect a lot, and you'll be pleasantly surprised sometimes, which I think is a good strap line. Yeah. Good line, punchy. Sort of motto. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Just lower, lower the bar of your expectations on life. I, I, I re- reminds me of, we used to go to Edinburgh Festival a lot, and we'd do our show there, and I'd do a live show. I'd do a, I used to actually do comedy ridiculously. And um, so we did that. And this one night when we first got there, we went to see a, a gentleman called Norman Lovett, who you might not know, but he was like um, in Red Dwarf, he was the voice of the computer. He was like Holly in oh, Red Holly, Dwarf. Yeah. The bold, he was yeah. a bold guy. And he's very laconic, you know. He makes me sound really animated and he talks like this. And basically, we turned up to this room in Edinburgh on a Sunday night and there were like nine people in there, including us. And I was really worried for him because I thought, that my ego wouldn't be able to take that. I would be devastated and I wouldn't be able to move past it. And he just turned up. He had a, he had like a slideshow thing. With, he was just like showing like photos off his phone. Right. And he did 10 minutes of material on a, uh, this plastic bag that, that, he, that he'd found in his hotel room. <laughs> Look at that. It's the, I mean, I, it's, it's so thin. I mean, I can see. And, and he had his, it was just the most, it was such a lesson in creativity because it was A, sublimate the ego, forget the ego, enjoy yourself and make the smallest thing fascinating. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what I'm always aiming to do, often don't, but I love, I love trying to do that, you know. 
So maybe we could talk a bit about Six Music because we're big fans mm. at the museum. Um, I know that Six Music News did a section about the museum when we had one of our yeah. Friday lates. Um, and it's like, I think it's for any music fan, popular music fan in the UK or, you know, internationally, it's like the place to go to listen to. I mean, it's literally the number for me. Anytime I want to listen to the radio, it's Six Music. So. Oh, and really you've been... Good. You know, a key part of that for years thirteen now. years, fourteen, thirteen. <laughs> Good God, you look really <laughs> thirteen years, man and boy, man and slightly fatter man. But yeah, maybe just like because of there was that period where it was gonna be get got rid of, wasn't yeah. it? Um, Twenty ten. It was. It's been a strange old journey, to be honest. Um, and what's been a wonderful life experience about it, I, I've basically cruised through my adult life, really. Uh, you know, I used to write radio ads, and then I, I got really bored of that and uh, moved to London, like Dick Whittington, emphasis on Dick, and uh, used to do overnight programs on a station called XFM. And then, you know, this very slow, nothing explosive ever happens in my life. It's all like really slow like a super tanker, nothing spectacular, nothing amazing, but everything's fine. And But Six Music's been a real high watermark because of the people that work work there and, and have worked there. Um, but, uh, and the, and the, the reciprocal nature of the listeners, and then the listeners saved us. It's as simple as that. There's no other way of putting it. Uh, we had to, a bit of help from people like, there were people like um, in the arts at the time, like Fergal Sharkey, funnily enough, the undertone singer, people like that who are real champions saying to the government, you can't do this, I'm sorry, you've got this wrong. And then when the listeners said it, <laughs> funnily enough, they changed their mind. Um, and that was phenomenal. And that just galvanised this, this love, uh, this love affair between the listeners and, and the, the people on the station and the musicians. Because, you know, a lot of the time, there are, there are quite a lot of artists who don't really get played anywhere else. Yeah. So it's kind of like we love them and they love us, and that's great. And then you've got real talents, like you've got people, like musical talents, like Guy Garvey and Kerris and Huey, and we've got real chops. These people know their stuff. They're actually in the music, so they know it. They're not, they're, you know, they're not pretenders like me with my just asking about my gold strap in, in the mirror, <laughs> pretending, I, pretending I am Hendrix when I'm not. Um, but you know, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting topography, really, with streaming and things. With a lot of people wanting to destroy the BBC, it's it, we're going into interesting waters now. And I don't know what the next few years are going to mean, but I think Six Music is going to thrive, and it's going to always go from strength to strength. Though, so that's that's a good feeling, you know. Whether I whether I will eventually sort of step off the good ship or be pushed over the side. Um, How old is he? He's 50 next year, is he? Don't get it, Rick. Push him overboard. Say, there's, a, there's Radio 2s over there. You know, whatever. As long as I can keep paying my mortgage, I'm not that bothered. But the, but Six Music as an entity, I think you're right. It's, it's up there with... I'm trying to think of other radio brands around the world who... What's that one in LA? K-Rock. K K-R-X. Uh, some one of the KR oh KRXP yeah KRXP, KRXP. Yeah. you're listening to KRXP <laughs> <laughs> I 
uh, all you know but it's, it's hard isn't it to think of other radio I mean obviously we, we live in Britain and it's a British station so we, it would be front of our minds yeah. but there aren't many that you can think of that have got that pedigree yeah. so no, yeah Iggy Pop oh, yeah that's Iggy. it I mean that's the one I was I was groping for Iggy Pop Pop uh, it still blows my mind that he has a show on Six Music like I know Iggy Pop it's the actual Iggy Pop honestly it's it's ridiculous you do a show on Friday afternoon you know we're dicking about doing the fictional on air pub and then you think in, in four hours time Iggy Pop's going to be taking over you know it's a shame that he's not wandering in with his brew you know like doing his notes he's in Miami alright but um, still it's, it is amazing to be on the same roster as him and I think he says the same about me. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like at XFM uh, in like the early days? Because that seems like it was a springboard for so many people. And like, yeah. So many amazing people sort of got their break there, it seems. It really did. It was feckoned, is what it was. It was feckoned. <laughs> it was a time, man. When you look back on it, and it all, it all happened a bit before me. Like I think I'm going to get this all wrong now, but in, in my memory, it was it was a guy called I think it was Robert Smith from the, the Cure, way back in the nineties, okay. who had and, and, and another couple of people who had the idea of XFM, and they were based in Charlotte Street, and and it was just like you know that sort of pirate indie <laughs> fu to the GWRs and all these radio groups playing, you know. So that was the punk idea of it. And then it, obviously the, the edges got smoothed off because that's the way it is. You want some money, you got to play the game, mate, you know. But for a few years, it was, it was amazing to work there. I, re I remember, not all that much, funnily enough, I remember my highlights are things like, I used to do a show with Russell Brand uh, really? on Saturdays, yeah. I, somebody dug one out and sent it to me a couple of years ago and it was just dreadful <laughs> I, I was so awful I just sounded I literally sounded like you know like the, the intern I was just making no sense and Russell was what I remember about he won't mind me saying this because he's he, so all well documented at the time it was 2001 or 2002 Saturday morning 10 o'clock I'm I'm there an hour early, of course, you know, doing some notes, looking through the Daily Mirror, trying to find a funny story, you know, because that's what people do on the radio. Not Russell, of course. Russell's in his cowboy boots. He's uh, look, looking like Wayne Coyne's badger. And he comes drifting in five minutes after the show starts. And uh, he goes, uh, sorry, Sean, is there anything to drink in here? Like literally like sort of proto Keith, you know, and I'm, me being so naive it's a, yeah yeah I'll do you a tea if you want he said no I mean anything to drink <laughs> and I was like oh well, have a look in the fridge and then he comes tottering back in with a pint of white wine <laughs> and, then he, and then he puts his feet up on the, the mixing desk and I'm sort of running the mixing desk and he gets a little pie pint <laughs> and start in, in the studio which I'm pretty certain just had tobacco in it <laughs> and, uh, and that was him you know loose sort of I don't think you can say that word again, Russell. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, it was ridiculous. We, we had things like, I remember once Guinness sent an 88 pint barrel to the studio, right? So there was just a, a there was just a, <laughs> for ages they kept doing it. So there was just Guinness. All, all the time. All the all time. And I was doing overnights. And so sometimes I'd just be like, hi, Guinness. 
you know, or, or whatever, 10 o'clock in the morning, pint of Guinness. <laughs> uh, it's just stupid. We go, we go to sort of sales, monthly sales target things, you know, and it was just, they didn't give a fuck, really. The XFM were just, they were pirates. They really were. In, in comparison to what things are like now, you have Ricky Gervais, uh, though he was knocking about all the time, feeling Carl Pilkinson's head and giggling. It was, it was, it was fun times, you know. Long time ago. <laughs> Excellent. And like, sorry, just on the radio thing, um, why, why do you think radio is still, like, it's probably more popular now, like more, so many people listening to it in an age where it's, everything's so digital and technology has advanced so much, but radio basically, it's the same format. It's always been, but it's so popular now. I think that what's happened over the last year, I think that the coronavirus has done something to, and maybe it will change again. You know, that's the problem with humans is that we're all, we all just want things to be like they were a lot of the time. We just like to revert. We like to stay in our comfort zones and stuff. We, I was all at the beginning, you know, in the middle of last year, I was like, this is going to be a revolution. People won't stand things the way they were oh you know we're, we're all gonna help each other it's all gonna be about community and we won't have to go into down anymore and we'll, we'll break up the shackles of corporate oh everybody's gone back to normal okay <laughs> we're all at the pub but, but you know the the coronavirus was when people have been trapped in the homes. the ra radio has been their only solace and their only comfort live you know that's the big difference live i think podcasts are fantastic I'm on one and they serve a very specific purpose. And I love, there are certain ones that I just always go back to and love and, and they, they give, they provide something that radio doesn't, they, they can live together. But the thing that radio provides is at its best is company, I think. And it's cam camaraderie and warmth and connection. And when so many people over the last year have said to me, thank you just for being there because I've been isolating on my own for three months. I haven't seen my family, blah, blah, blah. So that's when it comes into its own the most, I think. And all the times I've been younger and I've been away from my family and I haven't had, you know, you live on your own in a flat or something. You're in your early 30s, your late 20s, and you, you, can't, you can't hit the pub with your mates every night. Sometimes you just want, you want a voice. You want some company. You want connection. And I think that's, that's why it's, it's still... You, as long as humans are humans, they're still going to need that. So hopefully we'll all, I mean, I might, hopefully I'll continue to be employed one way or another. <laughs> That's my only hope and goal. Give me a job. Another amazing thing about Six Music has been when, you know, these like legends have died <clears throat> and people have like turned straight to the station, like including me, like Prince, David Bowie, yeah. etc. It's like, that's where you go to kind of, grieve in a sense grief, yeah. yeah and that's kind of amazing to have that space really it's beautiful and and, and it would be something i would miss really in the sense that I, you you become your identity is quite bound up in your job uh, better or worse really and and i think that the, that, that fraternity or that community of listeners musicians presenters of, of a like mind i think is just it's really special and and it's like I, I've I've heard that so many people say things like, "Well, you know, I was dating this guy, and um, as soon as he said, I really like 
Marianne or something on Six Music, I just knew it was going to be fine, you know, <laughs> uh, and and vice versa, you know. Good people. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It's it's a real. It's a it's a community of like minds, and that's beautiful, really. Do we do the quiz? Oh yeah, come on. I won't. I won't do very well. So it's either a line from a Handel opera or it's a line <laughs> from a Hendrix song. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, so first one. And my heart began to glow, consumed by soft flames, as flakes of falling snow are melted in the sun's rays. Ooh, that sounds, it starts off quite handily and it becomes quite Hendrixy. That I'm going to say Handel. It's Hendrix, isn't it? <laughs> we'll reveal we'll the answers at the end. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll do the, okay. the score. The big reveal. The yeah. Yeah. Depressing images, how you sadden me. Shall I ever be able to defeat you? God, I've got a bone up on my handle. I really do. Depressing images. Doesn't sound very Jimmy. It shows you how, how much of a non-completist I am of his uh, studio work, isn't it? I'm going to say handle again. I'm going to. I'm, I wish that I'd said Hendrix to begin with and handle. But I'm going to say that's definitely handle. The angels will spread their wings. Spread their wings. I want to show you good and evil lay side by side. Oh, no. I said, well, I'm going to go Jimmy Hendrix. Okay, we'll do one more. Without a scratch on our body, when we bid it farewell, starfish and giant foams greet us with a smile. Before our heads go under, we take our last look at the killing noise. That sounds like Jimi Hendrix. He's absolutely smashed it. Four out of four. Four out of four. Hey! Excellent. Have some Excellent. of that. Wow. I know more about I'm good at guessing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's surprisingly hard, that. I yeah. Think the first yeah, one, weirdly. Like, that is definitely a Hendrix lyric. Like, and my heart began to glow, consumed by soft flames yeah. as flakes of snow, falling snow melted into sun's rays. But it's actually from that's Handel's Orlando. Orlando yeah. But I'm going to ask. I'm, I'm going to put myself out there and ask a really fucking dumb question now. Okay, go. So no, no judgment. Handel's words, his lyrics. There, he's not writing those, is it? He, no, he's no. somebody else's a librettist. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's what it. Yeah, that's it. And my my classical knowledge is that's a valid question. I think. Yeah, it's not stupid. Yeah, they're not singer songwriters, are no. they? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They've got enough on, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Deciding what the oboes are doing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to explain to the kids because I don't understand classical music that much, really. I, I, it's I, I'm, I intend to get into it as I get older, but like just sitting there talking to because they're musicians. Just try and imagine what it's like. It's the 17th century or something. You haven't got a fucking tape recorder or anything. You, you're you writing out, you're imagining what every single instrument is doing and you're writing yeah. the part out. And it all works And together. you're putting it all together and when everybody plays it, it makes everybody cry because it's so beautiful. Yeah. That's <laughs> unbelievably, that's yeah. even harder than what Drake does, Arthur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are. We, we're just we're going backwards as a society, aren't we? Not to realize about it. Yeah, I can't conceive of that. Even like Beethoven doing it deaf. Yeah. No, what? Handel well, was he was blind. Handel, yeah, he was blind. Life just still, just still knocking him out. Respect you. That's all I'll say. That's the, yeah. That's, I thoroughly enjoy talking about Jimi Hendrix. Cool. Well, yeah. Thank you. Have you got yeah. enough? As yeah, they say. Definitely. Yeah. Four out of four. I walk out with my head it. held high, no though. No one else has got all correct. So. Uh, I think Nish might have. Oh, Nish Kumar, yeah. Oh, has he done one as well? He 
Is he a big I mean, fan of Jimmy as well? You would not believe. Really? Of, ev- of yeah. like 60s. He just knew everything. We just sat here. And I don't think he just, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he'd mind to say an absolute nerd. <laughs> I didn't know that about him, actually. About Dylan, he was talking about specific Dylan tours where he had this different band and then he did this version of this song. And we were just kind of like, I, you know, I really love Hendrix and I feel like I know quite a lot about yeah. the period and everything. Nish Kumar. Well, I never. There was a lot of stuff where I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. Who or what he was talking God. Really, really. Yeah, if you ever meet him, I look really forward nice to stuff. getting into the pub with him at some point yeah. to talk about that. Yeah, and also it's hilarious. So. Yeah, top man. He's very funny. Thank cool. you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks very much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Hannah and Hendricks in London in partnership with Art Fund. 